It's good to see you all, and uh, it's good to be in the Word of God together. Uh, if we could, um, just want to draw our minds this morning to uh, the things that we've mentioned. Reminder that this uh, afternoon, as Marcus said, we are going to have a, a church-wide meeting. Uh, and so uh, that's at 2 o'clock to discuss some pretty important issues that face us, the main one being the proposed changes to our church constitution and our bylaws and what have you. But, and that's the kind of focus that I want to have this morning. Again, I know that we, uh, I kept saying we're going back to uh, Daniel 7 and talking about the Antichrist and all that stuff. That will be next week, all right? So Daniel 7, next week, plan in the middle of it, we're going to pick up talking about the beast. But what we are discussing is this morning is more of a church matter in, in that we are desiring to move away from the unbiblical model that we currently have enshrined in our constitution where the authority rests with the members of the church to appoint elders as opposed to the biblical model of the elders being those from among the body who appoint the elders and last Sunday, I laid out the case for that in Scripture. If you uh, did not get a chance to listen to that, I would highly encourage you to listen to that message or come talk with, with me or one of the elders about that. It's of great importance. Um, because of the importance of this, I, I want to continue to share with you. Sorry, yes, kids are dismissed again. Because I, <laughs> I want to continue to share with you from um, this morning from the Scriptures regarding eldership. Um, it's an extremely important issue in the church. It's extremely important. Where the leaders go, the church goes. And it is really important in this day and age that the elders be a group of biblical, biblically-minded, Christ-submitted men. We need leadership in these days that doesn't waver to the left or right, political opinions, this or that. What does the Lord say? And that's what we've got to follow as a church, and it's so important that we follow what the scriptures say biblically when we're talking about what an elder is and how they get to be an elder. And so, if you would please with me, bear with me as we go along. I expect uh, there to be a lot of verses and things. Please take notes. This is important um, for us in our understanding. And now, when we're speaking about the elders in the church, what are we talking about biblically? What is an elder? There's a lot of different opinions about what that is, but quite simply, the elders are the spiritually mature leaders of the church. That's it's kind of the simplest thing you could say. Um, but the Lord Jesus, the head of the church, through the apostle Paul, he commanded, he said that the church is to be led by a plurality of, of mature, godly men, God-ordained men, and they are called the elders of the church. And so the elders are those called by the Lord to be the spiritual leaders of the local church. Um, I'm not the elder of a different church. Um, Marcus is not the elder of a different church. The other elders are a different uh, elder of a different church. We are shepherding the flock that is among us. We are from this, this body. We are part of this body. This is the body which God has called us to shepherd. And the New Testament elders, if you want to get into it, are called by a couple of different names. They're called elders, first of all, which just means older, right? The idea is that there's maturity there. Spiritual maturity is the emphasis. But the other two uh, terms that you can kind of understand what an elder is, is they are an overseer, that's one word, and another word is a shepherd. 
Overseer and shepherd. Those are two things. Uh, overseer can be translated bishop. How many of you have come from a background maybe where you had bishops in the church? That's where they grab this from. Um, shepherds, which also can be translated pastors. How many of you come from backgrounds where you have pastors as the leaders of the church? Truly, they're all pointing to the same principle. These are the leaders of the church, the elders who are overseers and are shepherds of the church. And so an elder is one who is spiritually mature that oversees the affairs of the church and shepherds the flock of God according to the will of God revealed by the word of God. Kind of complicated there, but it's pretty simple. The general idea is the job, that's the job definition of an elder within the church. Most of you are familiar with that. But what are elders responsible for? That's really important. What, what are we responsible for? Not what we think we're responsible for. What does the Word of God say we're responsible for? Because that's what's going to matter in the end. Amen? As we look at those terms, oversee and shepherd, that kind of gives us a lot of insight as we're looking at elders. And by the way, my whole point in this is to emphasize the importance of the role so that we kind of see the weight of the responsibility of the matter that's in front of us. And so as we look at those terms of overseer and shepherd, what, what do you think in your mind? Kind of biblical terms. But what do you see? Well, the idea of overseer, number one, 1 Timothy 5.17 says, the elders who direct the affairs of the church well, 1 Timothy 5.17, the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those working in preaching and teaching. I don't want to point out all the preaching and teaching and double honor and all that stuff. The point is the elders who direct the affairs of the church. That word direct the affairs of the, of the church, if you go back to the Greek, that basically means it's the word to rule. That's what that means, to oversee, to rule, to govern. That's the idea behind it. Uh, the fact is, and, and basically what that means, that there's no authority in the local church that is higher than theirs. This is not to say they are not subject to a higher authority. Does that make sense? Because <laughs> any authority that any elder would ever yield better be rooted in the Word of God because that is the authority for the church, the Lord Jesus Christ and what He says. So make sure you know that. It's always a submitted authority, but they're called to rule within that authority that they've been given. They're called to direct the affairs of the church. The elders are responsible for ruling the sheep of God in the local congregation. That's what they're responsible for. The writer of Hebrews speaks about this relationship between the sheep, which means all of us, and, and the elders. Hebrews 13, 7, and by the way, I'm a sheep too. I'm responsible. I'm accountable to the elder board as a sheep. I'm not a part of it, even though I am a pastor. So there is this mutual submission. But Hebrews 13, 7, 13 17 says, uh, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. That's Hebrews 13, 17. So the elders have been given authority to oversee the church. And one day, I will give an account before the one who entrusted me. Marcus will give an account. Fred will give an account. Gary will give an account. Arthur will give an account before the head of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me tell you right away, that just strikes fear into the heart of, of me. Because when you see the actual calling, this is what I'm trying to do is to bring us all into the idea that this is serious. This is a serious matter before us. When you see that, the responsibility is 
great before the Lord. And by the way, again, that authority is always limited by what the Word of God says, okay? And that's where any authority comes from. So the elders are overseers. We oversee the affairs of the church as described there in Timothy. But there's another word that I think really gives the heart of an elder. It, the other word is shepherd. That's the other word. Is They're called shepherds in Scripture. One of the best terms in the Bible to help us understand the role of an elder is that of a shepherd. Now, if you remember in John 21, real famous passage, remember Jesus um, rose from the dead, but he had not yet ascended, and he had to go restore Peter. Remember that? Peter denied him three times, so he has to go see Peter. And he went to the Sea of Galilee, and he went to restore Peter, who had denied him three times, right? And in that conversation, John 21, verses 15 through 17, Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? And you know what Jesus was getting at. You said you would die for me. You said you'd follow me. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And what Jesus was getting at is, you thought you loved me, but you really didn't. <laughs> and Peter says, there's a bunch of Greek play on words. I'm not going to get into that right now. But each time Peter responds to Jesus' question, do you love me? He says, yes. Yes, I love you, Lord. And Jesus responds to Peter every time. If you love me, feed my sheep. If you love me, tend to my lambs. If you love me, feed my sheep. So Jesus called Peter in John 21 to shepherd the believers that the Lord Jesus would entrust to him after his ascension as one of the shepherds of the church. And if you read those verses 15 through 17 of John 21, you're going to notice something very important, that the sheep are not Peter's. Whose sheep are they? If you love me, Peter, feed my sheep. They're his sheep. We are his sheep. Blood-bought sheep. Very precious. We're his lambs, the ones who are young in the Lord. You're his little lambs. Very precious in the heart, in the sight of the Lord. And what Jesus is saying to Peter is that Peter's love for Jesus would be shown by his obedience to the Lord. In that Peter would answer the call that God placed on his life to faithfully feed and tend the sheep of God. The primary role of a shepherd, as we see here, as Jesus commanded, is to feed the sheep and to tend the sheep. And there's another one, to protect the sheep. It all kind of lines in there. But feeding the sheep, what are the sheep to be fed? Spiritual food. That's why we emphasize the Word of God in, in this church. Because you don't need my great ideas about the, how the world works. There's a lot of emphasis for me to get into a bunch of things. And I feel the weight and I have opinions about stuff. But let me tell you, the opinion that truly matters that you need to know is what God says about things. And it's my responsibility, it's the elder's responsibility to make sure that you, as the precious sheep of the Word of God, are grazing on green grass of his word. So important. Not fulfilling our desire for whatever vindication we want to have or justification for what we're doing, but what does our king say about how we're to live in this world? Attitudes, intentions, 
What do we do with everything? And let me tell you, it's an internal fight to submit to it. And then it's a great responsibility to sit there and quite often say things that, that I, I also need to submit to, to, to you so that we are under his leadership. And that's heavy, but we are to be fed spiritual food. That's the role of an elder church. Peter likens the word of God to milk for an infant in 1 Peter 2.2. 2. It's like milk for a little, little baby. You know, in the little babies, they, they, they need to have that milk in order to get the nutrients, in order to grow and to kickstart their, their, their life. Same thing. The word of God needs to be given in simple, easy ways to the young believers so that they grow and they mature in the simple things of the word of God so that they can go on to do what? Eat the meat of the word, the more profound things of the word, which Hebrews chapter 5, basically the writer of Hebrews, he's writing to admonish a church who really, he's wanting to explain meat things to them, but they, they, he says, you guys need milk. You guys need to go back to milk. You should be teachers by now, he says to this church that's been around for a while. Boy, that's convicting, isn't it? <laughs> and he says, listen, I've got to go back and tell, teach you the elementary things. I want to go talk to you about Melchizedek and all this stuff, but uh, you're not ready for it. So let's go back and, and, and do these things. And so he, but the point is, is that the milk and the meat are for the believer. Does that make sense? They cause us to grow. And it talks about that in Hebrews that those who eat meat are basically the mature believers in Christ. In other words, they've taken in the teaching of the Word of God. It's shaped their lives. It's shaped their character day after day, year after year, until their point where they're mature. Christ-like is, is the definition of maturity in their character, in their actions, in how they perceive the world. And they're able to discern good and evil. See, that's what the purpose of the, of the body is, so that we would all mature into Christ like this. And that glorifies God. That's why Christ came. He came not to make sure you've got your best life now. He's called, he came so that you would lose your life and actually find it in him. That's what's, that's what's going on there. So the word of God is what needs to be fed to the people of God. We see that, so we see in that, that it is self-evident that elders need to be mature because they are the ones who need to be able to give those things to the flock. Does that make sense? How many of you, um, you know, as cute as your kids are, how many of you, like, let them make the decisions about the finances and all that stuff? I'm not saying, you know, but there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a value on maturity, and there's also an overemphasis on the value of youth in our society. We tend to push off older people. Oh, they aren't hip. They don't know things. They're, they're out there. And so therefore, we just kind of push it off. And it's like, you know where I go to when I need wisdom? I go to the Word of God, and I go to people who have been chewing on the Word of God for a long time, and I start asking them questions. What did you do? And how did God teach you through this? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I want some people some years behind them. Elders are great. And by the way, not just church elders, but y'all elders, right? You know who I'm talking about. Most of you are at home right now because of the, the black plague here. But uh, an elder is charged with the feeding of, of the Word of God, but an elder is also responsible. This is the second aspect of a shepherd. You're, you're, you're responsible to tend the flock. Tend the flock. Just as you parents tend 
to your kids. You not only feed them, you make sure they have the food they need in order to grow, you tend to them. Well, what does that mean? That encompasses a lot of things in life. It isn't just an so the idea here isn't that just that the teaching is an intellectual exercise. It's actually practical and that the elders, we need to pray for our sheep. We need to watch out for our sheep. We need to encourage our sheep. We need to exhort our sheep. We need to disciple our sheep. We need to protect our sheep. We need to point them into the Lord and all things. We need to be an example to them. And I, and I see that in your, you know, this, we have a lot of mature believers in here. They've been walking with the Lord for a long time, and that's demonstrated. You guys know that. You, you edify one another in here, which is beautiful. But that's the point, that we point to the Lord in all things, examples and in actions, pushing them towards Christ. We tend to them. And so here in John 21, Jesus calls the apostle Peter to shepherd the church, feed the church and tend to them. And just so you see the connection between an apostle and an elder, so Jesus here in John 21 tells Peter, Peter to shepherd the flock, and now you skip forward several years in Peter's life, and in 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 through 2, here's Peter speaking to the elders of a church. This is it lived out year after year. Here's Peter way on the end of his ministry. Now he's talking to a group of elders. He says in 1 Peter 5, 1 through 2, so I exhort the elders among you as fellow elders, as a fellow elder, and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Here, the apostle Peter tells the elders of a church, shepherd the flock that is among you. The same thing that Jesus commissioned to him to do. He goes and tells the elders, now you do that. That handing of the baton and so the role of an elder is not only to oversee the church and to feed the church and to tend to the church, but it's also to protect the church. And this is another important aspect of eldership, is to protect the church. How many of you parents are very, grandparents are very vigilant over your kids' safety? Just a couple. Okay, we've got a problem. The reason why you are vigilant over your kid's safety is because there are what out there? They're predators. All kinds. On the internet, on the streets. And you don't want to be overly crazy about it, but you realize that there are people who would seek to prey on the innocent. Right? Whose responsibility is it in your house to be vigilant? Is it the kid's responsibility? You want to teach? teach them that, but obviously the mature person, the mature believer is one who's very well aware of the attacks of the enemy. And that's what we want to grow up to. We want to discern good and evil as a body, as a church, right? And so we look out for one another in that way, right? Just as you do in your home. Well, the church, the ultimate, that ultimate responsibility of, of, of watching over and protecting the church is ultimately the Lord, right? He's the one who protects. Make no mistake about that. But he's entrusted the elders for being vigilant and watching over the church in these matters. He said, you guys are going to be the ones held responsible if wolves get in the, in the church. You are the ones who need to be able to be on guard because you're the ones who, are, who I've raised up within the church to be able to be vigilant in this area, who have the authority to deal with it. So I think one of the most vivid and heart-wrenching pictures of the seriousness of a call for an elder to protect the sheep is in Paul's farewell address to the Ephesians in Acts 20. Read the chapter. I don't know about you, but it's one of those chapters where every time I read it, I, I, I get teary. 
But Acts chapter 20 and verse 25, Paul is going to leave the Ephesians church. He's not, he says, I'm not going to see you again. God's calling me, and he would go down to Jerusalem. He would get um, arrested, and he would go to Rome. He would eventually be executed. But So this is his farewell address to them. In Acts 20, starting in verse 25, he says, And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. That is a faithful shepherd, declaring the whole counsel of God. And he, he, and he goes and talks about a lot there. Uh, and I won't get into it right now, but read it for your own edification. So Paul's leaving. He's not going to see them again. And now he's entrusting this eldership to God. And here's what he says in verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, and here's Paul's concern, I know that after I leave, what's going to happen? Fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. That's you guys. Not sparing you. And from among your own selves will rise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after themselves. You see, wolves are concerned with themselves. Shepherds are concerned for the sheep. And from among your own selves will rise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, what? Be alert, be on guard, be on watch. Remember that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And you can just see Paul's over bearing just love for the church and his concern that the church would continue to grow and be protected and his knowing as, as he has personally fought off all these people coming in to try to twist people into buying them Learjets or whatever it is, you know, and just taking advantage of all these people and pulling them after themselves in all these weird areas. And Paul just lays it out and says, you guys got to be watchful over the flock which God has made you overseer. And you can read more about this in 2 Peter chapter 2 in the book of Jude, some fiery words on this. There's other places, obviously. So Paul here exhorts the elders to keep watch over yourselves and over the flock, which the Holy Spirit made you overseers. The ones who should be able to pick up on the wolves, the ones who should be able to pick up on the false doctrine and be able to pull out the staff and whack them and smack them, right? are the spiritually discerning within the church. Many of you are that, and, and you do. But the elders should be such men because they're called by God to watch out for the sheep, lest the church gets attacked and infiltrated successfully by Satan. So an elder is one who oversees, an elder is one who shepherds the flock, which God has made them overseer. So the role of an elder is a serious position, church. You see it? It's a serious position. 
And that's why the scripture is clear that because the responsibility and the authority and the consequences of all of that are so important and consequential, basically, that the over the seers of the church, those who would serve as elders, they have to meet certain qualifications. You have to meet certain qualifications. And there's two places, church, where you find these. I want you to know them, <laughs> right? You need to know these. You want to write down Titus 1 and 1 Timothy 3. We're just going to do 1 Timothy 3. These, these two passages basically mirror each other, so I'm just going to read out of 1 Timothy 3 where Paul's writing to Timothy, and he says, this is a trustworthy saying. These are the qualifications of an elder. If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, he, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own house, household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. Why? For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how he care for God's church, he must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Verse 7, moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. So these are the qualifications an elder of an elder given to Pastor Timothy by the Apostle Paul when he is to appoint elders. But notice the emphasis is on what? On the character of an elder. It's not a personality contest. It's the character and the call of an elder. These are to be men who are mature believers in whom the word of God has taken full effect. Now, and I'm not going to go in a verse-by-verse -verse study of all this stuff. I've gone in depth to it before. Um, you can go on our internet, uh, on the interweb, and uh, <laughs> you can check out the audio archives. When I do my teaching on the church, I go into depth on church leader, church structured, um, all that kind of stuff. Elders, deacons, the whole, the whole gambit. So you can do that yourself. But I do quickly want to go over what is said here because it speaks to how we come to know if indeed someone is called to be an elder. Really quickly, in verse 1 there, Timothy, right? Chapter 3, 1 Timothy 3, it says, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. So notice quickly, how do you determine if someone is called to be an elder? Well, there has to be an aspiration. There has to be a desire for them to do it. That means that they reach out and are stretching for it. Not just, a, hey, I want the position, I'll apply for it. But their life is actually stretching out and reaching towards it. Does that make sense? That's what the word aspire means. And so there has to be an aspiration in their life. Secondly, they are aspiring to an office. It's an office within the church. It is a spiritual office within the body. It is a position within the body. It's a, it serves a function. And thirdly, it's a noble task that they're aspiring to. In other words, it's a good work. And by the way, it is good and it is work. <laughs> it is good and it is work. Both those things. And so there has to be an aspiration towards this. But how are the elders and how is the church supposed to determine if an aspiring leader is qualified? Well, there are a lot of people who aspire to things, but they're not called to them. Anybody ever watch those like singing shows, you know, where people f fail at singing? 
Yeah, a lot of people think they're called, but maybe they aren't. But anyways, this isn't about all that. How do you determine someone has a desire to do something? Well, we're given the qualifications here, and that weeds out a lot of people from verse 2 on. You can read those, and I'll just quickly oversee them. Therefore, an elder must be above reproach. That's the idea, is they've, they've got to be above reproach. That's what encompasses all the things that are going to be said. In other words, nothing of their character, any false accusations against their character sticks. It all falls off, okay? And as you read through the rest, you see what that looks like. I'm not going to go over them now, but the idea of must is four times in there. You must do these things. The bar is high. It's not about charisma. It's not about personality. It's not about vocation. It's not about education or lack thereof. It's about Christ-likeness and maturity in the body of Christ, okay? Do they know the Word? Do they know the God of the Word? Is there evidence of this in their lives? Have they matured in Christ? Are they able to teach the deep truths of the Word of God to the people of God? Not just getting up here and giving and talking to you for 45 minutes about something, but one-on-one, -on -one, dialogue, lifestyle, all those types of, there's different ways to teach within the body of Christ. But are they able to communicate those truths in deed and in word? Does that make sense? And it's to some of these qualified men that the Holy Spirit equips and calls and gifts. So how does, how does this come about practically in our church? How does this come about? This is where I want to get a funnel down to. You see the seriousness, but how, how does this come about? How are elders raised up in the church? How does this happen? How are these men identified? What path does the Lord set up to appoint these men so that we can discern the will of God in this? And the church is edified and God is glorified. Well, I think if we just keep reading, Keep reading, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8, it goes on to speak of deacons. So it's going from elders to deacons, and it's even going to go down below that. So watch. I would say below. That's Remember, it's a servantarchy. But check it out. In verse 8, it says, Deacons likewise, in other words, in the same spirit as of elders, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, uh, in other words, not given over to wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And so those who are serving in a deacon role, we don't have official deacon roles. What that is code for is leadership within the church. We'd call them ministry leaders. Make sense? Anybody serving in that, that area, position of leadership, well, these are the qualifications for that. Christ-likeness, Christ-like character, just like elders. The elders don't get to bypass these. You know, you don't just get to say, oh, well, I like them. Let's let them do that. You don't get to bypass them because guess what? That's a built-in protection for the church because deacons become, can become what? Elders. The elders don't get the bypass when appointing leadership within the church. You follow what Paul says here. And Paul says of those serving as deacons, their speech is to be submitted to the Lord. Their appetites are submitted to the Lord. Their motives are pure. And they're to be believers who follow the Lord. And so deacons, which simply means servant in the Greek, are godly servants in the church. 
And my guess is it's from this group that you can more easily identify leaders. But listen, there's even a qualification for deacons. Look, but how do these deacons become servants in the church to begin with? Verse 10, and this is the key I want you to see. And let them, that is the deacons, also be what? Tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. You see how it works within the church? You see people who aspire to leadership in the church, they're to be tested in the little things. And as that calling is verified in character and in commitment and all the things that are going on, it's validated, the Lord promotes them within the body. And it's the elders' job to make sure that they grow, they grow, they're disciplined, they're discipled, and, and they're raised up within the church as God is moving them. And Paul says here, there, there's a time of testing for that purpose. Why? To see if they are what? Blameless. That's a protection mechanism put in the church. When it comes to a man becoming an elder, it starts with being born again. Loving the Lord, letting the word in their heart, starting to live out in their life. Then what happens? They have a desire to serve God. For the person who's called to eldership, they're going to aspire to that call in, in the church. They're going to desire to serve in that way. They're not, nothing's below them. They'll, they'll do whatever, but their giftings and their calling are going to start to line up. There, that they're going to start to care about people and shepherd people and teach people and do that. They can't help it. That's where they're going. You see that? Well, it becomes evident to the body that this person needs to be put into some kind of thing because we all are blessed by them. And so they're tested for a bit. They're tested in menial tasks or whatever it might be, things that are essential for the body, but they're not of great super responsibility. Does that make sense? They're not teaching and all this stuff. And then as the Lord evidences his call in their life and their character and all those things start to be evident in the church, it's, it's open to you and to me. We've seen, we know people like that right now in the church, Amen. We go, man, that person's blessed. Like every time I'm around them, I learn something. They care for me. They're praying for me. And you just see it. And, and you're going, wow, that, that would, God's doing something there. And then what would happen is then they're raised to a deacon level and some kind of leadership position in the church. And if that continues on and God desires that they would be an elder, they've got to aspire to it. There has to be a will and a desire to do that. And that can come through you to them or us to them. There's just an awakening within the church. As you serve in the body, you find out what part you are. Amen? That's what we all do. I found that out real early in the church, what I was not and what I was. I'm like, oh, this is miserable. I can't do this. There's no joy in this. Like, well, you're on the wrong seat in the bus or you got sin in your life, right? And so you move over to another area of service and you're going, wow, I just, this is so, this is joyous in my heart. I love this. And people are blessed and I'm blessed. I'm loving the Lord. And you just walk and you ride that wave, as a Californian would say, right? And then the body's blessed. But as they grow and that becomes evident, there's a point when they need to be called to eldership. Well, how does that happen? It's been happening. And the evidence of them shepherding is already there. It's been witnessed by the church. It's witnessed by the elder board. Now we get formal with it. We gather together as a church or there's some kind of catalyst to where we go, listen, we think this person is called. The elders talk to this person. 
we start checking the qualifications. We start opening that up before the body because we're not going to go, hey, we think this person's an elder and that, oh, that person's all, oh, really? Like, <laughs> you know, there's a, there has to be a, a point where they are aspiring to it. And we realize either through you or through us that this is going to happen. And now we bring it to the church and say, let's start praying about this man together. Are they called? You guys know the qualifications. Here they are. Is there anything we need to be concerned about? By the way, is there any things that would be blessing and help confirm this call? We need to know this as an elder board. And by the way, if we don't already know that, it's a pretty good indicator that we need to slow or cool our jets. And so as the Lord validates this in this person's character within the context of serving in the body, there comes a time when we go, yes, this is what the Lord's doing, meets up with Scripture, character checks out, the calling is there, the fruit's there, they're already shepherding the Word of God, and the elders are responsible for now appointing that person in as a position of eldership in the body. And we all get together after a time of us vetting this person together, and we get, we get together as a church, we lay hands on them as an elder board and as the church is a witness, and we put them into the call that God has called them to. Does that make sense? That's what I see laid out here in the New Testament. I see a church where men are raised up, the Holy Spirit makes it apparent through times of worship and prayer that this is the person over a period of time that's serving the church, and the eldership puts them where God has them. That's what we're searching for. And, that's, and the things that we are presenting to you, they reflect that. The documents reflect that. And that's what we desire to do. We see this in Scripture. Now, lastly, I know this is long, and it's purposefully long this day today. I apologize in some ways, but it's important. Lastly and importantly, what, what our Constitution and bylaws do not address is the discipline and removal of an elder. Which we have addressed in our proposal. Has to be in there because the scriptures have it in there. It's fail-safe. Now what happens if an elder is in unrepentant sin? What do the scriptures say about that? How is the church supposed to proceed? Do we just live with it? No. As you already have seen, hopefully we've circumvented that already by the people that we have allowed into leadership, being biblical about it. But the enemy's at work. The inevitability is, is leader sin. What do we do about that? Well, the two verses I want you to be in mind, mind of real quick here in closing, Matthew 18, 15 through 20. It's Matthew 18, 15 through 20, and 1 Timothy 5, 19 and 20. Sorry, um, 1 Timothy 5, 19 through 22. They'll be up on here. These deal with church discipline. But the, issue, the verses in Matthew 18, 15 through 20 is how you address a, a sinning believer. Okay? This isn't somebody had a bad day. Okay, this is... Someone is in sin. It's repetitive. It's constant. It's in their life. It's there. And by the way, I would go ahead and address the bad day with them too. But the pattern is this. Matthew 18, Jesus is teaching, and I'm going to paraphrase it real quickly. He says the first step is you go to them one-on-one. -on -one. When you have 
someone who sinned against you in the church, the very first thing you need to do is go to them one-on-one. This is so difficult because everybody wants to talk to everybody else about what they're doing. Go to them. This is what the Lord says. This is what the elders will, t- will direct you to do. If you come complaining to us about someone else, go to them, one-on-one. Jesus, we don't need to be smarter than Jesus. One-on-one, right? And then what happens if they don't listen to you? Jesus says, well, take two or three, two or more people and go talk to them. You see, there's a hardness of heart happening there, or perhaps you're wrong, and you need to get two people to go, eh, maybe this isn't what it is. But anyways, two or more. The idea is that there's, there's, a, there's a case being built here. And what this is, is it's a call for them to repent and be restored, and it's also a protection mechanism for the church because sin is cancer. Okay? Two or more. Go to them, and they talk to them. Well, what happens if they don't listen? What does the next verse say? Tell it to the church. Gets bigger. And what this implies, and you can pull it from other verses, now that eldership is is involved, if this doesn't deal with an elder. And eldership is involved, because anything to do with public, whatever it is, needs to go through the eldership. The eldership's going to check and make sure this process has happened, what's going on, and we bring it to the church. We have done this. Some of you have recently, within the last couple of years, have been up with us when we've done it. Very uncomfortable. No one likes it. But what's the purpose of it? Obedience, protection, restoration. So, the church, if they don't listen to you, in other words, now everybody starts going at them to get them to repent. If they don't listen to you, The church now has the authority to kick them out of fellowship with the hopes of them getting restored, okay? And what happens is as they are treated like a tax collector and a pagan, in other words, we're not inviting them, we're not having lunch with them on the side, all the stuff, there is a shunning that goes on. I know it's not PC, but shunning is a good thing. Shame is a good thing in a lot of situations, Right? Jesus wants to use the church and the, the Holy Spirit is going to use us in our lack of fellowship with them at, in part of his arsenal of conviction so that he, they would come back. They get miserable. They come back to the sweetness of, of you, to us. Amen? So that's the discipline in the church. Now what happens with an elder who sins? This is the verse, 1 Timothy 5.19. 1 Timothy 5.19-22, and this is where we close here. This is where Paul writes to an elder Timothy. He says, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Why is that? Because leaders get a lot of frivolous complaints. A lot of people who just don't like what they said on Sunday and all this kind of stuff, right? In other words, it has to have meat to it. So we're not even to listen to a single person who comes up and says, you know, whatever it is. Although you wonder, (laughs) but you don't, you're not to accept it. But what happens is when two or more witnesses come together and say, listen, this is what's going on. And my thing is that the person has already gone to them and talked to them. They've denied it. They brought two or more witnesses to them. They have not responded to that sin, the elders still hardened against it, and all that kind of stuff, what happens is now 
the church is involved. And says right here, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. And as for those who, what, persist in sin. In other words, they did not repent on the one, they did not repent on the two. What happens? Rebuke them in the presence of all, just like everybody else. Rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. Why are they standing in fear? Because elders don't get a pass. The person does not get a pass. The elder does not get a pass. And this is the protection mechanism for the church for an elder who is out of line. And that's why you need to have godly elders in place so they hold to what the Word of God says no matter what. And right after this, just to let you know, Paul tells Timothy, after he tells him how to deal with the sinning elder, you can imagine Timothy going, gosh, I'm young, and that's intimidating. Timothy was young. And what does he say right after it in verse 21? And in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not waver from this, Timothy. And then he says in verse 22, and do not be hasty in the laying of hand of, on of hands. What is that? Putting someone into leadership. Be slow about it. Let the testing happen. Let the proving happen. You don't want to get to this point. Nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Brothers and sisters, I... I know, you, I know you know the seriousness of it all, but it's my responsibility to re-communicate this as we're facing it because this is why the eldership exists. It's, they are entrusted with God with making sure godly men are appointed to these positions. It's not as if we don't trust you. We know you're there. We know you love the Lord and all these things. It's not about that. It's about what the word of God says, and this is what he says. And I think as we go about it and as we change the Constitution from a congregational model, which means that you guys can appoint any elders you want apart from the will of the elder board. And by the way, you guys is not very well defined, which means 50 people could just walk into our church tomorrow and hang out for six months and vote everybody out. It's a very dangerous, weird model. It has nothing to do with what the Scriptures say here on this part of it. What happens is we need to put it to what God says is where that authority of appointing is with the eldership, and there are disciplinary measures in place set by the Lord that need to be followed, and therefore we got to have godly men, and there's just a matter of trust. Trust your elders. It says, submit to them, for they have to give an account to the Lord. Don't make their job difficult. At the same time, God has put a discipline measure within the scriptures that protects the church. And we plan on following it. Amen? So this is, these are serious matters. And listen, the elders, are, are as we are growing in our understanding of this, we are looking at it and going, man, this is serious stuff. We want to take it more serious in our responsibility before the Lord. We want to be humble before him and be, a, be more better shepherds for you guys. You know, and grow in that calling and, and, and really focus on what God's called us to do before you. And I believe this is a good step in changing the Constitution. It's a godly step.
And listen, we haven't put a, a, a date on the vote because we want to dialogue with you. We don't believe that we have, we believe that we have the will of the Lord in this. We think we do have the, the bones of what needs to be said, but we are very aware that um, we need to hear from the body. We need to hear from you, those who we shepherd, just like any leadership should be cognizant of the church and what ideas you might have or thoughts. And so that's what the next few weeks or whatever long it is that we have is, is about. You've heard the teaching, you understand, but there's questions you have. We want to dialogue with you. We want to hear what you're saying. We want to hear your concerns and your fears and your worries and all those things. And we want to um, not just push them off. We want to reassure you from Scripture, but also go, you know, that makes sense. You know, all that. And so we're inviting you as, 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 as the shepherds of the church to help us follow the Lord um, in this season that we have because more of these things are going to be addressed as we move on. And we just want to get things right so that we can be about shepherding the flock uh, more faithfully. So we love you, and we just want to thank you for your prayers and encouragement, your questions, and all these matters. And we look forward to meeting you today um, at 2 o'clock, and we're going to address those four major issues. We talk about finances. We'll talk about um, this. We'll talk about uh, the our COVID response and also some updates with Liberty Christian and the facility and building and all that kind of stuff just to get your input on it. So um, may the Lord bless you. And I hope we're all kind of kind of taking in all these things and seeing them um, maybe a little differently. I know we, we've been as an elder board, and so we just value your input. All right, let's pray together before God. Amen. Father, we want to thank you once again for your kindness to us. And that while we were sheep gone astray, going after our own ways, you the great shepherd called us to repentance and we came to your voice and you gave us life. You've been so good to us. And Lord, uh, we realize the weight of responsibility as parents and just as grandparents and those who are working and with responsibility, all this stuff, Lord, there's just tremendous weight. We want to be the best leaders we can be in whatever situation you've given us, but that means that we need to be really awesome submitters to you, because Lord, we really don't have a clue apart from what you say. So Lord, help us submit to you in these matters. Help us to get your mind in these things. Lord, help adjust where we need adjustment, and we just love you. We want to see your kingdom come, Lord, and we want to see you work mighty things in and through us, Lord, this year as we are just love and obey you. And so, Lord, we commit this time to you. We commit this teaching to you. We commit the eldership to you and this flock to you. It's yours, Lord Jesus. Be honored and glorified and lead us in these matters. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.